0: Good evening. If I can encourage you to take your seats. Um, th- we, this is a little bit different, so um, please uh, get up in the middle of me speaking, which I know that you would do anyway, uh, and uh, please just go and help yourself to uh, a drink. If your, your nibbles run dry, uh, Callie will come and uh, replenish them we, we won 't replenish them all oh, right if your nibbles run dry you 'll have to pop over the road and get your own okay and, uh, uh, it's just to say that what we 're going to do is that we we are um, it will be in two parts so we 're going to have a break uh, for fifteen minutes uh, it is being uh, It is being recorded but what we will do is that um, before we put it onto somewhere like iTunes and the web, we'll just make sure that, uh, that the content is uh, okay and there's not too many personal things that come from the floor. So if you see me with this, it, it won't, you won't find you on the web tomorrow morning, okay? It's just so that you would, uh, would know that. So, everybody okay? Ready to go? Uh, For those that need to, uh, and you'll know who you are... uh, Please drink copious amounts of wine or alcohol. It it might help, but no. But thank you ever so much for um, coming. Uh, I was saying to Denzel uh, earlier on uh, that actually I've never spoken on the issue, I haven't spoken on the issue of um, marriage and uh, relationships uh, since almost my first church in uh, Rugeley in a setting, in in Lewis, um, in a setting like this. Uh, in Rugeley, we did marry people, so I did marriage preparation. Uh, in Lewis, Kelly and I were involved in uh, marriage weekends. Uh, Rugeley, um, we, we didn't do that. So this is a, a, a first for me, and uh, I'm as nervous as you are. So let me first do some disclaimers, because <laughs> you have to do that. Um, we're working through the book of Ruth and the lives of Boaz and Ruth, will not actually highlight everything about courtship, relationships and marriage. You need other parts of scripture to do that. So you might at the end of it say, but he didn't say this. And the reason I didn't say that is that it's not in the book of Ruth. I'm using um, the, the book of Ruth to, to do that and I forgot to do that. Oh, I need to switch it on, don't I? that is because this is an introduction but having said that um, the book of Ruth does give us insight into one particular relationship and because it's in scripture it is God-breathed and because it's in scripture and God-breathed we can use their relationship to teach us um, to rebuke us to correct us and to train us in righteous courtship, relationships and marriage. Um, And that's why Ruth and Boaz, as it were, are in Scripture. So what I intend to do is work through the book, looking at particular instances in the life of Boaz and Ruth. Uh, But if you would like to stop me and ask questions, uh, please do, and Callie will answer the questions. Uh, But I'd rather you sort of do that, or if you want me to, go through a section and then we can answer questions or that, just just please um, shout out. So are you ready to go? Yes. Okay, uh, we're going to look at first the two characters from a distance. Boaz, uh, we know a little bit about him, he was the son of Salma, and Salma and therefore him were wealthy landowners and worshippers of God. And... Uh, they both, both um, you can tell that by what Boaz did later on in regard to his workers, and therefore Salma, you can see that inherited it, they um, had an unusual care for their workers. They looked after them uh, very, very well. His family, Salma and uh, therefore Boaz, had actually survived the famine in um, Bethlehem that caused Naomi to leave and go with her husband, Elimelech, to, to Moab. So they'd survived it as a company, as it were, and had come through, through it, through to the other side, and were still landowners in Bethlehem. So um, they must have done reasonably well uh, in a time of, of quite, well, a difficult time, really. Boaz is the close relative of Naomi's husband's family, and there's no reference to a previous wife, which suggests that Boaz is of maritable age. He's an eligible bachelor when we uh, come across him in the Bible. Ruth, uh, born in Moab, Uh, she's a Moabite family. We won't go into this, but the nation worshipped the god Chemosh. uh, And there were all sorts of bizarre and strange Um, practices that they would have done in but they would have done but we haven't got time to sort of go into that you just need to know they worshipped uh, she worshipped another god Uh, she married Naomi and Elimelech's son Mahon who died in the famine in Moab Uh, because of the consequences of that she's now poor And commentators think, and we don't know, that she may have married uh, Mahon fairly young. And there's a a big debate on this whether um, between sort of 16 and 20, if you like, that sort of age was the was the possibility of uh, of when she married uh, Mahon. The best thing that we can say is that she was a young girl, and uh, and at this point she'd lost a husband and uh, was extremely poor because of, the, because of the famine. But at this point, what we do is that we see two very different characters in different places with very different backgrounds. And if you read the book of Ruth, what you are actually reading is God drawing these two characters together. So when, when we begin, we're, we're in Bethlehem, we go to Moab, we can see that something is happening over here. And then we come back to Bethlehem and we see something that is going over. What we're watching is God bringing this, these two people um, together. And, and that's the issue. The issue is God is drawing them together. And I want you to know, at this point, it's not about their status. It's not about their background. In fact, none of that seems to be in God's mind, in the bigger picture of Ruth. It is just simply that these two very different people, God is drawing them together. Now, I don't know whether you're like me, but um, every now and again, I pick up a magazine somewhere and, and have a read of it. And uh, it's usually lying in some sort of uh, sort of situation and pick it up. And, and what you read today is that you can read quite a lot on what I call partner compatibility. Now, th- what that means is that what you do to form a relationship is that you basically put down a tick box over here and a tick box over here. And if the two of you tick the majority of the tick boxes, you are compatible. So then you should pursue the relationship. So it's based on common likes and dislikes. So if you both like jazz music, this could be it. If you both love walking, definitely, we're on here. Uh, and, uh, you, know, if you, you know, if you both like cats, definitely your marriage is on. But, and that's the way now that the world would project how you find your partner how you discover the one that you should spend the rest of your life with but is that how we do it the answer is that to that is that's not how god does it therefore it's not how we do it the most important question that you and I need to ask and some of the singles need to ask is just this question is God drawing us together? Is this a work of God? Is this something that is uh, supernaturally motivated? Because when God draws us together it's because there is a higher reasoning than actually that we both like dogs. which it can be, going to, hey, we both like dogs, let's marry. No, come on. What, what God is doing is that he's saying that he believes that the weakness in this one can be strengthened by this one. And he's saying that when you become one flesh, you are able to do together more than the two individuals could do. It's God's design. It's God's way of placing something in the kingdom and becoming sort of more efficient and tuned and, and sharp than we ever were before. It's, it's something that God does. And it's, it's interesting, when you, even when you talk to singles today, they will often talk about, you know, compatibility. But we need to go back. And sometimes even when you are courting it's worth asking the question, is God drawing us together? Is this a a work of God? Okay, a significant moment, a significant moment. Uh, Ruth 1 verse 16 and 17 says this, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you, she's speaking to uh, Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be uh, my sorry. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and where you are buried, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if anything but death separates you. Or me. And this was Ruth speaking to Naomi, but actually at this point it is opening the way for Boaz. This is Boaz's opener into the life of Naomi. I want you to note something that she says. She says something here like this. She says, your God will be my God. She's rejected now the God of Chemosh and she's now adopted As her God, the God of Naomi. Commentators call this her conversion. She says later on, she says, May the Lord, that's not the God Chemosh now, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely. She's moved allegiances. Commentators call this um, Ruth's conversion. Um, You can call it whatever you like. She has become a follower of Naomi's God. And uh, although Boaz, at this point, is not in the picture, it is actually opening the way for the relationship to begin. It's The reason that that is, is that this is about your God and my God. Your God and my God. We've got some... Uh, We've got to look at some of the the passages that sort of back that up. And uh, if you look at 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, you can get a New Testament version of what is being said. Where it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Your God will be my God. Jacob told Isaac, "Do not marry Canaanite women. Marry where your God will be my God." Israel are told not to set up any allegiances with any other nations that they may lead to marriage. That may lead to marriage. Exodus chapter 34. What is what is being said here? Your God will be. My God. Nehemiah actually said, uh, quite interestingly, in Nehemiah 13:27, he actually said to the people that "You are being unfaithful to God by marrying a foreign woman." Wow. And the context of relationships and marriage should be this: that we have joined together because your God is my God. This is why we've joined. We've come together because we both celebrate this wonderful thing that your God is my God. If you want to uh, grasp a, a thorny issue, and you can stone me if you like, um, is this just marriage? Can I, can I go out with someone who is not a Christian? Let me answer that question by asking this. Who draws us together? Who was drawing, God, who was drawing uh, Boaz and Ruth together? God was. But if we have a relationship where one person is not a Christian and the other one is, we only have, as it were, one person being drawn. But the other side of this is that the, the if you like, the arena for dating... Let's talk about dating. I know some of you have dated. But let's talk about it because we've got something. We'll move on to the, the other bits. But we we'll just, just put this out first. The arena for dating is, is that. Your God is my God. Why do we say that? Because the arena for dating is preparation for marriage. We've been prepared for God joining us together. So even in the dating... Part of the dating is the development of the relationship of the one flesh, as it were, that will be one flesh, so that our relationship with God in our dating is growing. That's how our dating works, as it were, in Christian circles. We're bringing, God is bringing us together, we're moving towards relationship, we're getting to know each other, again, and the relationship has an effect that, that we are growing uh, in God. Let's look at one final example. If you look at Solomon, I would have to say that he was the wisest man, according to the Bible, on the face of this earth. And I would have to say that, well, you probably know this, that I, I am not as smart as what he is. You, you know that, don't you? Solomon is smarter than me. Uh, you, it's true. I know that's difficult for you to understand, but it is true. Solomon is brighter than me. Yet, this very thing that we're talking about, dating and marrying, was actually the very thing that misled him. If you look at 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 3, it says this. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. (laughs) Many. (laughs) He's got a problem, the guy, Uh, besides Pharaoh's daughter. This is who he loved. He loved Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations which the Lord had told Israel, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He was in love with them. He had 700 of them. He even had 300 concubines just in case. So don't try it, Andy, okay? (laughs) Just in case, Andy, you think this this is a great idea, you'll never want to sit there. This, this, this is what the Bible says about Solomon. His wives led him astray. His wives led him astray. What is the key point here? They will surely turn your hearts after their gods. What is God in their lives? Because often what people think is that, look, I am strong enough to work this through. No, we need to be biblical about this. You might think that you are the angel Gabriel and you have this person. But the Bible is clear. It says that they will turn your hearts after their gods. You will become someone that follows after the things that they like. So Solomon, even in all of his wisdom bright guy, was led astray by his unbelieving wives. So, Boaz meets Ruth. We're on the stuff now, okay? Naomi and Ruth have travelled 35 miles from Moab to Bethlehem. They arrive at the start of the barley harvest. They're probably brewing, I don't know, but there you go. Barley harvest. Boaz is introduced to us as a worthy man, or a man of good reputation, which is not the reputation that he thinks of himself. This is the reputation that others think of him. And it is always good to ask the question, what do you think about the guy or the girl that I am going out with? It's always a good question. Because here it is, here's a man of integrity and was known for his integrity. One might assume by the township townsfolk. A dangerous sign would have been that other folk could not say that he was worthy or even other folk would not answer the question when you asked, what do you think about this guy or this girl? And it's still, it's still an appeal that whether we are married or whether we are single, that we should be of good reputation. That the people that are around us speak well of us. And Ruth is introduced by these words. Let's let's go in the field and glean. And to glean would have been the lowest thing that you can do. But we see in her a desire to work hard without recognition and a servant heart, which I actually find both admirable and very, very attractive. And if you put these two things together, integrity work hard, without recognition, servant heart, you actually have a great foundation for a relationship. And it should be these sort of things that we are looking for throughout dating and marriage. These are the areas that are impressive to the Lord, to the Lord, and therefore to you. Boaz arrives on the scene with this, the Lord be with you. Now, Boaz was not uttering sort of, you know, me talking, coming over to Steve here and saying, well, Steve, you know, the Lord bless you, make his face shine upon you. You know, that sort of comment. Actually, what we lose in the Hebrew is that we lose... The Almost the intensity and the depth of that word. Because he, he was uttering it. Um, Ruth was standing there and he was uttering these words to his workers. And Ruth was just listening in to the heart of this man. And as, as she listened in, she heard him say, the Lord be with you. But it was almost something that he genuinely wanted the Lord to bless everybody that that was working for him it was that sort of thing and if you're listening to that and you're standing aside here and you you think if I go on and marry this guy if I go on and marry him I know that at the heart of this man will be a desire for for the Lord to bless me that's what he will want as he, as he, if, he, if he wants to bless his workers like that, how much more will he want me to be blessed by the Lord? And again, at the centre of any marriage is God. And the role in the marriage that we have as two individuals is to ensure God's richest blessing on the other person do you do you want them blessed do you want them knowing all that god would want for them do you do you want them to encounter god do you want them to experience him now technically guys if i can talk to you this is should be at the initiative of the man so this is where the men look at me This is where it comes from. If Jesus is the head of the church and our advocate before God, and as men are called biblically the head of the marriage, then we are our advocates for our wives and should lead in spiritual things. It is our responsibility. It is our responsibility that our wives are experiencing God. It's our responsibility to pray for our wives and, and to, to make sure that we release them to, for all that God has got for them. It's something that, that God has entrusted to us. He's entrusted to us a wife, but also an avenue so that that lady, that woman, can be blessed by her heavenly Father. So here's a good question before we just move down the line a little bit. Here's a question. Are you a releasing man? Or are you not? What sort of man are you now, if you're courting, What sort of man are you? Are you making sure that your wife is just blown away by her God? It's a high calling, isn't it? But it's a magnificent one. Do you know one of the pleasures sometimes is, guys, to step back and to see your wife in the presence of the Lord. And you think, wow, she's experiencing the Lord. Actually, guys... You've been a great husband. You've been a great husband. So, Boaz meets Ruth, but then Boaz notices Ruth. Suddenly, Ruth catches Boaz's eyes and he asks this question, Who is this woman? Now, she may have looked slightly different because she she was a Moabite, but it is unlikely that that is it. What is likely was that if you can imagine the setting this is the gleaning that's going on in the in the barley fields and all that sort of stuff, the boss has turned up, they're all working, and out of all those people he says Who is this woman? He found her attractive. He thought, Flippin' heck, who's that woman? That's basically what he did. He sort of had a look and he thought, that's all right, isn't it, that? (laughs) So let's deal with basic things first. Let's just get down to basics, Nigel. Boaz notices Ruth from the crowd and there was a physical attraction. Now there should be. You should... Don't marry the girl if you don't fancy her, Okay? Or vice versa, if you don't fancy him, please don't do it. Do not do it. Do you know, I have counselled, and Callie and I have counselled, many uh, young folk and some a little older in their preparation for marriage. And we've had some unusual marriage preparation classes, to say the least. I'll, I'll give you one strange one. And this is why I've got to be sure about the internet. We, we once cancelled a couple who came to see us. We had not long been in the church, so we, they were not people that we knew, but they were in the process of getting married. And the, 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 one, the guy said, would you pick up these people for a marriage class? So... We said, yes, we'll agree that we invited them round to our home and that sort of stuff, and we started off. And we said, tell us a little bit about you. So they, they said, uh, well, she'd been married before. She got two children, and he had not been married before. So we said, oh, okay. So we explained a little bit about the two children thing, and, you know, are you all right with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that, and all that sort of stuff. How did the kids go? you fine, all that sort of stuff. Okay. So he said, tell us a little bit about your life together. So they said, we're living together. So Ken and I lowered the glasses. And we, said, <laughs> we said, we're living together, okay. And we thought, this is interesting. They're in our church, or our new church, so this is going to be interesting. So we then said, could you explain a little bit about the living together? Because we thought, well, maybe he's in one room and she's in the other one. You know, maybe it's something like this. So we, we And you do this question, don't you? You sort of ask the question, and you sort of come out like this, and you sort of say, well... Um, you know, could you define living together? And, and they, you know, because I'm not coming out of it. So, do you sleep together? It's you do it nicely, don't you? And they sort of said. So eventually, we found out that they were sleeping together. So we thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Good long evening. Well, so then you've got to ask the question, don't you? Because it's what pastors do. Okay, you are sleeping together. Are you having sex together? No. So I, I at this point... <laughs> Callie must have looked at you. I don't know if you've ever had this situation with your man. Callie looked at me, and I looked at Callie, and I'm into the no-understand type of experience. Because I want to know how you can sleep with a naked woman, and let's be honest... Not how do you do that? (laughs) So I'm thinking either this is the most incredible piece of self-control, or or it don't bode well for the next so many years. Because I have to say this: that if I was sinning, and Callie and I were, I would be there. Okay, I could not. So. I could not sort of understand this. It was very difficult for me to understand. But what my problem with was this, is that why was there not a physical attraction? Why was he not saying, who is this woman? Why was he not having that sort of problem? The other thing is that you have to sort of say, if it's like this now, what is it going to be like in two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, twenty years time? My old pastor, when we were courting, we, uh, asked, he asked Callie and I whether we could go with him because he was preaching in Uckfield. So off we went to go to Uckfield. He preached the sermon and afterwards we went to somebody's house for dinner in Uckfield on some sort of big estate that. What's the estate called? Park. Yes, there, Rocks Park, that's it. So we go on to Rocks Park Estate. And Callie and I are walking down the drive, and I don't know if you've ever had the experience, or maybe that I do it to you, is that the pastor comes up, and the conversation, you begin to just... So we were walking up the drive like that, and the pastor came, and he put his hands on our shoulders. And we thought, we're in trouble. (laughs) So this was his question to me. This This was his question. This is true, isn't it, Callie? He asked me this question. He said... He said, Nigel, yes, Ray, do you lust for this woman? (laughs) That was the question. Now, in my mind, and flashing all around me, was this, is this a trick question? If I say, yes, I'm in trouble here. If I say, yeah, do I lust for, come on, don't I have? So, you know, I thought, this could be trouble. Then on the other side of it, I thought, if it's a trick question, and I say, no, I'm, I'm in the doghouse, whatever happens. Anyway, so I was in trouble. But actually, what my pastor was act- asking me was a genuine question. He was asking me, do you have a physical attraction to that person? The answer is, yes. And Ray said, Good. And he said, because I would rather counsel you on your practices in regard to that than counsel you on the practices in regard to the other. And that's true. He would rather say to us, as your pastor, I'm going to pastor you on how to keep your hands off till your wedding night. Because he was happy. Because not only did I think that Callie was a servant and a caring, and worthy, and a good reputation. Actually, I fancied her. And just so that I'm not looking at her, and so that you can see, I still do. <laughs> okay? So do not ring tonight. Okay, no, we won't get that. <laughs> So, by the way, does that mean that you should sleep with your wives and your husbands before marriage? No, that's a sin. Biblically, as even we can see in this, and we will see later, that what happens is that, the, the, that God places sex in the context of marriage. But what happened was also something supernatural. And you, some of you who have been married for a while, will know this, because what happened was that it wasn't just that Ruth caught Boaz's eye and Boaz caught Ruth's eye, it was that the Lord caused them to see each other. And that's the extraordinary thing. Because because God does something in us. He causes us to see the person. That's why that you look at your wife and you look at your husband at that point and you think, whoa, look at that guy. And everybody else thinks, "Well." But you just think this is an outstanding, it's a work of God. How do I know that? If God is love, our ability to fall in love is actually from him. It's from him. I've just looked at that person, I've gazed upon them, and I am in love. Who's done that? God. Because God's the source of love. It's, it's, it's something that has been given to me. How do I know that this is the right person to me? For me, is God the source of your love for each other? And that's sometimes why the unequally yoked thing is very difficult because the source of love is different. From this person, it's coming from God. From this person, it's not coming from God. It's different. Also, the love for the person uh, is something that therefore we can discover because what happens is that I am falling in love. And because I'm falling in love, it's not something sort of just, you know, hey, Fleur. It's just not like we, what we have is that we have something that we can, if you are falling in love, and you are in love, you have got God as the giver of love, but you've also got a love manual. How do I know how to be the best lover that I can be? Because God's the source of love... And gives us love and helps us to see person and fall in love with them. We can go back to the manual and say, hey, I need the training manual on love. And it is demonstrated for us in the Bible. We've only got to look at God's ways, Jesus' ways, how the Holy Spirit works in regard to the people of God. And suddenly we find out how we can love. I've, not only am I in love... But I've got a book that tells me how I can be the best lover. I've got, you know, can you imagine that? We're, you know, 25th wedding anniversary. What are you doing now? I'm just reading the Bible to find out what to do next. Come on, guys. It is is true. It's all there. We can find that you've only got a love. If you were to say, who is the most passionate person for the people of God? You would say Jesus is okay. Okay, there's the manual. Therefore, this is what I've got to be. I've got to be the most passionate person for the person that God has given me. It's just simply. Here we go. Simples. Okay. Okay. We're coming up to a break in a minute. Okay. Boaz and Ruth speak for this first time. This is not what this is. What you shouldn't do. Okay. These are off the internet. Some chat up lines. Okay. Baby? Yes. Somebody better call God because I think that he's missing an angel. Did you use that one? No. Okay. I'll bet you this one was was yours, Andy. Did that hurt? What? When you fell out of heaven. Did you not do that one? Okay. I know that Roland did this one. Kay? Yes, Roland. Do you have a map? No. Why? I just keep getting lost in your eyes. Okay. David and Maureen, this was from them. Excuse me, Maureen, but I think I've dropped something. Maureen, what? My jewel. This is my best line, to, if you ever want to win a woman. Uh, I've only got three months to live. Okay, you'll know this one. If I could rearrange the alphabet, I would put you and I together. An, an unbiblical one. Was your father an alien? Because there's nothing like you on earth. Or would you like to know my first chat-up line? Here it comes. Hello, Mr. Davies, turning to Callie. You must be Mrs. Davies. <laughs> we made it. That's why it has to be God, you see. It had to be God. Seriously, I believe that the conversation of the person is actually a huge indication of the heart. And I just want to say this to guys and speak to to the to the ladies you may nod it is important to speak to your wives they need to hear your voice they need to know what you feel what you think and you need to communicate with you with them I'm just saying that now as a bloke talking to blokes we are bad at it guys but our wives, that it helps them to hear the voice. Okay, so Boaz addresses Ruth as his daughter, which is not demeaning or saying that she's too young or she's too old. The tone is a very strong affirmation. He's speaking affirmation to this girl. He's giving her an impression that he will support her and he's encouraging her. This is what our ladies need to hear. They need to hear strong affirmation, need to hear support and encouragement. I will, can I just tell you something about me? And then we'll just move on. Callie says this to me, and this is just because I was born in Wolverhampton and basically have very little up top. Sometimes Callie will say to me these words, Nigel? Yes, Callie? What are you thinking? I uttered the famous words, "Nothing." Kelly goes down this conversation. What do you mean, think nothing? I'm thinking all the time. I'm thinking about this and this and this and this. In fact, I'm thinking about twenty things just at this moment. Why are you not thinking? And I'm going. I don't know why I'm not thinking. So now I've written, what are you thinking, Nigel? I'm thinking about how the universe was formed. (laughs) He asks her to stay in the field. He, He demonstrates that he is going to be kind and generous. Are you hearing this, guys? Kind and generous. Would you like me to say one more, wives, to the husband? You are to be kind and generous. I can't say anything about this in, this, in the room today, but I was with a gentleman this afternoon, and I just want to speak publicly to him, um, because he told me that, that his wife may have bought something from Asda at six quid, or his wife may have bought it for about six quid. I just want to say it's kind and generous steve oh sorry <laughs> tomorrow please feel free to take your wife to debenhams okay now i'm only joking kind <laughs> and dener- I'm generous and okay <laughs> he he also says to her stay close to the girls So he's giving her a reassurance of protection and care. He's saying, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be generous. I will protect you and I will care for you. Now, if you are a lady, those things are vitally important. Vitally important. And as men, we have a responsibility to create an atmosphere in the relationship that helps the lady feel that she is safe With you. And that is very important to them. He continues. Keep your eyes on the field. He's suggesting a little bit of favoritism. Now that's good isn't it? A little bit of favoritism is good. You know. He's aware of her needs. But not only is aware of her needs. He's aware that it is his responsibility To bless this girl. I'm just, you know, just stay over there a little bit. It'll be good. So, come on guys. A little bit of favouritism. He also made sure that the young men would not touch her. So again, he was protecting her. But also, uh, he he was going to make sure that others were not going to abuse her body. You can find this... Uh, in in the book of Ruth. I I don't want others to do that. What is interesting about this statement is that he was doing two things. He was saying, I am going to make sure that these guys do not abuse your body. That's the one side of it. What he was also going to say, in implication was, I will not also abuse your body. I'm not going to do it. And although we're not gonna, we get onto the sex bit in the second half, so you'll all stay now for that bit, won't you? It's just worth saying come on, guys. Some of us have been given a real gift from God, a beautiful body that God has given to us, and it is not for us to abuse that body. And can you have a marriage where the body is abused? Yes, yes you can. So we, we want, that our women need to know from us that we will not abuse their body. He was suggesting that he was not going to do that. And it's important because these are at the foundation things of a, a relationship. It's not just physical attraction, although it is. Because if it was just physical attraction, what happens when I'm 80? Or eighty-five. Well, you don't look like you did. <laughs> I don't know whether you, I, I know you probably heard me say this. I and it does happen, and I bet you know some of the ones that are older can do that. Sometimes you do wake up in the morning, and you go to the mirror, and you just don't recognise you. Now, if you don't recognise you, can you imagine the shock to the person that turns over and, and, and wakes up and sees you lying there? That's a huge shock. And if it's only if your relationship is only built on a physical attraction, then actually it doesn't bode well for the ageing program because you ain't gonna look like you did a bit later. Her words to her to him I have found favour in your eyes, in your sight, why have you paid me a special favour? I am a foreigner she was experiencing and expressing grace. And grace recognises that God does not love us because of what we do, but in spite of what we do. And any relationship cannot work if it's going to be performance-related. Salvation is a gift of God. The, the person that you are with is a gift of God. Therefore, they are worthy of personal thanks to God. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you stood in the room on your own, shut the door and said, I'm just going to spend... Half an hour in the presence of God, worshipping him for what he has given me. My wife or my husband? Well, that's a bit strange, isn't it? No, it is a gift from God. It is an extraordinary work of grace. It is supernatural. It is unmeasurable It is something that began before the foundation of the world. It is something that God did in the Lamb's Book of Life. That He before the foundation of the world, think about it, bought these two people and put them together. The fact that we have been given this is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. So here we go. Let's it gets a bit serious. Oh, we've done that, haven't we? He, he takes her to Nando's for dinner. Okay. Because we men know how to, take, to spoil our wives, you know. And it was two for one. <laughs> Ruth? is invited to sit next to Boaz and she eats bread until, and drinks wine until she's satisfied. You can do that too, you can just help yourself to drink some wine if you want. Okay. And then when full from her meal, Ruth rises to glean again. And Boaz tells the young men uh, to let her glean amongst the sheaves and to pull out some bundles for her. Sorry, Chris, is it that boring? Okay. <laughs> I'll get to the sex bit for you a bit earlier, shall I? Will that wake you up? Okay. Um, what's interesting is, is those statements. Boaz tells the young men to let her glean amongst the sheaves and to pull out some bundles for her. He makes sure that she gets the best bits. The best bits. I don't know whether you've come across this yet, but there's, a, there's something now that you can read called the work versus life relationship thing. Work versus life. And it is work versus life will be and is increasingly going to be a problem, a tension in the marriage. Mainly because that employers will always demand more from you. This is not going to change. This is going to increase. It will be in the church and outside the church. Perhaps in time, we may have a revisit of the power of unions and all that sort of stuff that will come and bear on the workers uh, for workers' rights again. But that doesn't seem likely at the moment. What seems likely? is that you and I will be expected to work longer hours, probably for less money, and the demands on us will mean that we cannot accomplish what we need to accomplish in a day. There will always be something waiting for us in the morning. The people that write on the work versus life relationship, not Christians, say that this that life is a balancing act what does the Bible say about work the Bible says that if a man doesn't work he doesn't eat that's the first thing that he says the Bible also says that work is the financial provision for our marriage we earn it so that it can come into our marriage it says that we should tithe all those sort of stuff you know that But when we marry each other, we marry each other. I don't remember that when I got married, that I had my employer, and that there was me and Callie, and I made some promises to Callie, and some promises to him. I can't remember. I don't remember doing the vows threefold. I remember standing in front of my wife and making promises to her, and she making promises to me. For as long as I know, the guy that was the managing director then of Soil Instruments and whoever was running the trust at Lewis Hospital, where they weren't there. And I didn't make them any promises at all. And we made promises to each other before God. Before God. And we made them not to our employer. Now, does that mean you shouldn't work hard? No, you should work hard. But what I'm saying is this, that after our relationship with God, and if we are married, the next important relationship is that. And here is a sad thing. Let me ask you, are you married to your husband or your wife, or are you married to your work? Are you married to your husband and work and your wife and having an affair with your work? Your wife, your husband deserves the best bits. That was what God did. He put you together so that each other could have the best bits. So that you could glean in the field and bring each other's bundles together. Bring each other's bundles together. So let's name some things. I want to ask you, you know, and it can happen like this. That means that when I come home from work, uh, uh, whether that's me or my wife or anything, that we're going to get the best of talking together. As you can, you know, I, 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 I just don't want to talk at the moment. I'm just, you know, what about the bundle? What about the promise? Well, you know, we don't have to talk deep, but can we just chat? You know, I, I just, you know can we just you know, put, watch the telly and not, you know, what about the bundle? And then he starts fumbling up your jumper. And you get him... What about the bundle? Actually, what about the bundle of sex? I'll come to that later. What about the bundle of laughter? What about the bundle of relaxation? What about the bundle of working on tasks together? What about the bundle of praying and worshipping? What about the bundle of dreaming and planning together? What are you going to do? It's a good test to ask who gets the best of you. And if it's your work, that's not what God designed. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. I'm not saying you shouldn't do the best that you can. I'm saying that ga- God gave you somebody in your marriage to give the best. Two. That they, the best is for them. Where do we? Where am I? Break. I've just got. So. Bundles. All you've got to do is remember bundles. Okay. That's all you've got to remember. Bundles. Just two briefings, and we'll stop for a break. Uh, The kinsman redeemer in the story. Naomi reveals uh, to Ruth and Boaz. As Boaz is a a kinsman redeemer, a relative, he's one of the redeemers. And as a relative, his purpose was to save and release his family. Now, if Christ is our saviour and redeemer and then head of the church, husbands are to behave as Christ did with the church, as a saviour and a redeemer. So how do I know that this guy is a good for me? How do I know that this guy is good for me? It's simply this, that he has an ability to release me and he takes me out of bondage rather than places me into it. You can have a relationship where the person does all sorts of interesting things that you can read. Exclusivity is one thing. You can read that where if somebody comes... So is this releasing or is this bondage? How can you tell that? Exclusivity. They don't need to meet anybody else. They don't like your friends or whatever. They're just things like that. And even in marriages, you can see marriages and you can see how... you can You can look at them and you can see... That the person they've got married, but the product of it is that they are more in bondage now than they were before. Now, guys, we are the head of the church, we are saviours, we are types of Christ's. It is our responsibility to save our women. That's a huge privilege, but I want to ask you take it seriously. Can you imagine the other side of that? What a liberated woman in your marriage would do for you? You'd end up running, mate. Because she would be coming after you. But it would be a great delight. There's an interesting parallel with this. Mostly, women say this, men say this to women, and out of Ephesians, they say this. They say, okay, guys, Women, I want you to submit to me. How many times have we heard that? Dozens and dozens and dozens of You must submit to me. How does your wife submit to you? What does Ephesians say? It says that you love her as Christ loves the church. As you love her... And demonstrate a sacrificial, saving, Jesus Christ type sacrifice to her. Do you want have a problem submitting to that? It will be a delight to submit to that. Because you are loving her as Christ loved the church. That means that you take the initiative in salvation. Because that's what, you remember that song? He did not wait for me to draw near to you. Do you remember that song? He takes the initiative to release. Come on guys, it's our job. We take the initiative to release our wives so that they can be uh, blessed of God. I'm not saying that you are Jesus. I'm just saying that you should act like him in the marriage. Okay, this is the final thing. We're going to have a break, a toilet break, and we'll get that. Uh, we're moving towards that strange bit of the story that includes the threshing floor and Boaz's feet. And uh, so we'll, we'll have a 15-minute break in, in a minute. But there we go. Um, and what can we learn a, a bit from the heart of Naomi, the soon-to-be mother-in-law from Boaz? What can you learn from your mother-in-law? No, don't comment, Nigel. It's on the internet. Okay. <laughs> this is what the mother-in-law says. My daughter should not seek rest for you. And this is uh, a mother-in-law who wants the best for Ruth. Okay, most mother-in-laws say that. She goes on and she says, may, that it may be well with you or that, or that you may be secure. Now what Naomi's thinking is beyond her own death and beyond herself. And at this point, we're coming up towards the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And so you can just get a little bit of a picture here into something that's going to happen. At the point of the marriage where you hand over your daughter uh, to another man, you hand over the responsibility of care to another person. It's time for fathers to change their role as part of the marriage preparation, and it needs to be dealt with uh, if you are the children and you are getting married. It needs to be made easy. So Andy, how many girls you got? Four. Just at the moment. Okay, four at the moment, and a surprise. Okay. At some point, you are going to walk down your daughters down the aisle. You'll have the joy of doing it far more than me. But I will have the joy knowing you that it's gonna cost you more than ever it's gonna cost me. Okay? But spiritually don't laugh at him, it's it's a big thing for under spiritually this is what this is what happens. At some point, you hand over the authority as a parent to the gentleman in your house. Now, you may think that they are spotty, lanky, skinny, smelly, but your girls love them, okay? But at some point, your, your responsibility of care and spiritual oversight shifts. Two things. Talk to your girls about it. Tell them what will happen. So that when you just walk up the aisle, they know when you do that funny thing where you hand them over, that it is something of a work of God. But also talk with him and say to him and say, look, I will be handing over that. Now why am I saying that? Because what happens with the mother-in-law, father-in-law thing is that you can have issues where the mother and father-in-law still act as if they have the authority. Before God, they do not. So what happens then if the mother-in-law or the father-in-law, you have to remind them of this. Now, I will just be honest with you, and I can say that I have actually had to do that. I've actually had to sit in a room and say, I am married to that wonderful woman. She is my authority, and she's before God now. I am responsible for her before God. When I go to heaven, I will be accountable to her. You no longer have authority over her. So if you continue to tell us how we should lead our marriage... And, be, and how she should behave, you are going, I'm going to take you to the railway station and put you on the next train home. Is that clear? And by the way, you've just not understood what the Bible says about you, so pack it in. And um, the reason I'm just saying that is that it can be a problem. And we need to, we, you need to have clear lines in regard to, to that. Okay? But let's just move on that, uh, because you're probably going to ask me questions about that while we just have a break. What also goes on is that she then says, Naomi says to uh, Ruth, I, I want to suggest something to you. Okay, she says. I want to suggest that you wash and anoint yourself and put on a clean cloak. Now what does that mean? The Hebrew means, I want you to bathe at length. I want you to put your best perfume on and your best clothes. Now here's the simple question. Who was she doing that for? Boaz. Ruth was to look her best, smell her most alluring, to win this man. Cal and I have had the sad experience of dealing with folk in the church who have had affairs. Some people we've uh, seen God work through incredibly well and they've been joined together. Some have not. They have been an incredible traumatic time for the couple that have involved and an incredible traumatic time for us when we've been praying and trying to cancel them because you frankly feel out of your depth. And an affair is sin, and it is wrong, and it must not be condoned at any time. But having said that, the times that Callie and I have noticed that one of the people in the marriage has just let themselves go, we could count it on more than our fingers and arms. They've just let themselves go they no longer look after themselves maybe put on a bit of weight maybe they don't comb the hair they look a bit all sorts and all that sort of stuff and the guy or the girl comes home and some person outside of the contact just makes a move and I've we have had to say and it's so difficult you try this can you imagine this he or she has had a fair and he is wrong, and you're trying to say to them, but, come on, if you were looking your best, if you bathed well, and you put your best perfume on, and your best whatever, and you look amazingly, he or she would not ever want to go this way. Ever want to go that way. Now the person and the people are out of order. But let me ask you this question. Are you looking the best for your partner? Are you looking the best for your partner? Do you give your partner the reason to look away? It's a good indicator if they've just... I, this is a good indicator for courtship as well. I, it's something that I've noticed. I mean, some, sometimes we've noticed when we've been counselling people in, in regard to courtship, when I met Cully, bottle of brute. Do you remember those days? Henry Cooper. See, there's a lot of people in this room, are going, "Why well, the younger ones, why well, it was a green bottle, okay, do you remember that? Sometimes you had a little tin thing around it. Do you remember it? On the neck. Steve's, don't lie to me, Steve. Steve. <laughs> You could buy it by the gallon. <laughs> anyway, that was, you see, and it, we have actually, and Kelly and I have led Young People's Script, and we have noticed that, that, that sometimes the relationship starts and they look wonderful. You know, he's like, three months down the line, one of them looks like dog's dinner. And then they come and say to us, you know, it's not going how it should do. No, of course it's not. It's because you look like dog's dinner. It just literally is. If you want this to work, and and they get really offended, don't they? Do you remember this in the days of when we were reading? if you smart yourself, it might help. Who do you think you are, speaking to me like this? But you stink. No, just you know, you smell of bo. You, you know, every time you put your arm round her, no wonder she does this business. <laughs> you can always tell you've the, the the lowering neck. It's because you haven't put the brute on. But into marriage, we have a responsibility to look our best, to smell our best, to to even if it's Steve and Asda six quid. To, to wear what we can because we have a responsibility to please the other. To please the other. What am I going to finish with? Okay. So it's good. So, note. If you're not doing this, by the way, this is not just so that you can feel good and go shopping. No, it isn't that. It's just so that you can create one exciting atmosphere in your marriage. Apparently... This is my final thing. I know you don't think this. I know you think these are short legs. But apparently, I won't look over there. My wife fancies me in a suit. And I think it's a little bit perverse because every time you know, I want to cut the grass, she says, put your suit on. <laughs> it's a little bit strange. What do you know, guys and girls it's still worth doing. It's still worth putting the kids to bed and dressing up and making sure that you are at your most alluring for your wife. We'll stop now for a break. Toilets, do that. We'll do the threshing floor and the sexy bit as we come back. Okay.